toughness is in the details. I'll slap a tempo on everything. I'm at a point now in year two where I almost don't have to explain how to read eccentric, isometric, concentric tempos to my kids. They can look at a workout and be able to do that because it's driven into their head constantly. Toughness is in the details because I'm gonna challenge their brain because I know that as well as very successful athletic program, RG Kell is an extremely successful academic school as well. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank our sponsors real quick, starting with the DOYC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young coaches wanting to go into the field of strength and conditioning, so that whether that's CSCS prep, GA, or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I will put a link to their Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with an elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with team builders and house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. So please be sure to like, rate, subscribe, and even share this podcast with a fellow coach or a fellow in iron. I'm your host, John Mark Raspberry, uh, Curtis Strait coach over at Bolivar Central High School. And um, this is going to be one of those episodes where I'm really not going to be behind the mic uh, for our episodes. I got very special guest, guest host, Dan Molitor, and I'll let him introduce himself. And I'll let him introduce our guest here. Thanks, Coach. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I love any time the opportunity we get to talk talk shop and talking to you. And I'm really excited for to, for the opportunity to talk to our guest uh, guest today. Um, you know, Coach Coach Jackson's got the uh, got the ball rolling, man, and he's he's doing some great things over there. Obviously, as the head of the um, NHSSCA chapter of North Carolina, um, man, he's 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 up and coming. He's doing it right. So I'm really excited to be able to have the opportunity to talk to him. So. Um, uh, like you said, my name is Dan Mullins. I'm a strength conditioning coach at Loganville High School. Um, I handle primarily only football. Um, I do have some uh, some other athletes. But the only team I work with is football. Um, and I assist in the programming for for other sports as well. Um, but uh, I've been on before. They can go listen to that episode anytime. So we're here to talk to Kyle today. So, uh, Coach, give us an introduction on yourself. Kind of uh, give us the context of who you are, where you're coming from. Um, Give us, give us the whole parameter. You know, I'm a big believer that context frames the way we talk, think, talk about things. Um, so tell, tell all the listeners, you know, who are you? Introduce them to yourselves and kind of fill us in with what you do on a day-to-day basis. Yep. So Coach Raz, uh, appreciate you um, making this podcast, having me on, and then Coach Mullins for kind of co-hosting today. Uh, so my name is Kyle Jaksik. I'm the Director of Strength and Conditioning at Archer Kell High School in North Carolina. Um, I originally grew up in the northwest part of New Jersey in a super small town. Um, from there, I ended up playing baseball in college in the southern part of Virginia at Lynchburg. Um, after graduation, went down the strength and conditioning route as much as I fought it. I was in and out of Division One jobs, um, private sector here and there. And then COVID, when COVID hit, I ended up moving into the high school realm, which I never really thought was going to be the answer. Um, so my wife, or my now wife and I, moved to North Carolina in 2020. Uh, 
And then from there, I started a Canon school up in Concord, North Carolina, while I was also part-time at Davidson College, so coaching at both of those locations part-time. I ended up moving to full-time at Canon School, uh, taking over our rehab as well as being the assistant strength coach there. And then when the job came open at Ardrey Kell, we decided that it was going to be a really beneficial move for me personally, but then also kind of progressing that athletic program and progressing my career. Uh, so moving into year two at Ardrey Kell, Ardrey Kell is one of, if not the largest high school in the state of North Carolina. Um, so at, as of yesterday, we were at almost 3,600 students. Of those 3,600 students, I, I affect about 1,000 of those. Um, usually about 850 student athletes, 800 to 850 student athletes, and then 150 general population. Um, I'm very lucky, and it's very challenging to work with all of our sports teams. Uh, I see most of those sports teams twice a week for usually about 45 minutes. Um, football and baseball, I see a little bit more. Uh, they're, they're a little bit more invested into the program, but I'm a big believer in strength and conditioning for all. So even, even some of the club sports that we have on campus, like field hockey and rugby, train in our strength and conditioning program because it's available. Um, when I got hired at Archer Kell, we were the only high school in the state of North Carolina at a public school level to have a full-time strength and conditioning coach. And now we're moving it into um, making progress on that front to be able to get more people like me in front of that public school population. Um, and that's a big mission of the NHSSCA, and, and then I became the state director for the NHSSCA for North Carolina back in um, December of, I guess, last year, aka last month. For sure, man. Um, so kind of talk to me, the question came up, and I, I always love talking to people, especially athletes that had a, a background in baseball who have made the transition to strength conditioning. Um, what was your experience like as an athlete? And I know this wasn't one of our scripted questions, so I'm sorry, but it popped in my head as we we're talking. What was your experience with strength conditioning as an athlete, as a baseball player? Um, and how did that how did that get you into coaching or how did that transition from being an athlete to strength conditioning coaching? How did that how did that road navigate for you? I think for me, it started with having two really, really good strength and conditioning coaches and having really good relationships with my strength and conditioning coaches in college. Um, what I saw as a benefit of myself was I was I was lucky to be big and strong pretty early on. Uh, I wasn't the normal, normal looking baseball player that probably a lot of people think of when they think of high school athletes. Um, but then when I moved on to college level and I friended my strength and conditioning coaches, Dr. Steve Smith and Coach Ed Smith at Lynchburg, it. I just found a love for it. I was constantly just looking at the human body and seeing something that had so much potential. And I think baseball is that interesting sport, that movement quality, as well as power, explosiveness, speed, the ability to just be a really, really good athlete, no matter at the level that you play at, is really important. Um, I took a little bit more of the, the injured rehab route because I spent too much damn time in the athletic training office and then being injured myself through my high school career and my college career. Um, so then when I sat down, I was thinking of like, all right, what field am I going to go into that mix of uh, being able to be around sports, but then also trying to stop kids from being in the athletic training office the same way I was, I think was really important to me because um, I speak for all baseball players now. Uh, it's usually a little bit more hurt of a population. Um, so now when I'm working with our baseball guys, and baseball is one of our um, one of our larger sports at Ardrey Kell and uh, is a classic sport at Ardrey Kell. We, we have a long story 
long stories of success there. Um, I just want them to perform best athletically, um, being able to take that angle. But I want to rotate well. I want to throw well. I want to I want to run. I, I want to be able to give our kids a chance to fly around the bases, be powerful. Um, and we live in a super competitive area for baseball. So I'm in, I'm in the right place. And I, and I really enjoy working with the sport outside of our others. No doubt, man. And I, I love the way that if, if you look at the field as a whole, specifically high, high school athletes in general, um, I love the way that baseball is starting to latch on to strength conditioning. I think um, some of those stereotypical norms of baseball players and, and training hard are really starting to to change. I think some of those times are starting to turn. And I think the biggest the biggest thing for them is going to be when those injuries stop hurting. When people, when you stop having guys in the training room, and I think we're starting to see that because of the quality of coaching that um, those athletes are starting to have the ability to have access to. Um, but I do, you know, I agree. I, I think a lot of a lot of the way that baseball kids are starting to see, especially those top tier guys, they're starting to see the benefits of what we do. Um, and once kind of those strength conditioning coaches on a community level can have those conversations with coaches saying like, hey, no, it's not just about, hey, I want him to squat more. I want him to bench press more. I want him to do these things better. I want him to be a better baseball player. I want him to be healthier. And that's what we're about. And I think that's that's kind of played a big role in it. And I think I love the way that you approach it with uh, with baseball players, with all athletes, but especially uh, managing that that baseball that uh, that baseball interaction between coaches and things like that. So, um, so give listeners um, who may not be familiar with you, give them a brief rundown of kind of your training philosophy, your core values as a coach, um, how you train teams. Like, what are your big things that you're looking for um, when you're training your teams? So for me, like personally, I'll, I'll start with core values. Um, adaptability is number one. Uh, the ability to adapt on the fly, I think, is a major skill for me. Um, I'm very lucky that that's just how my brain clicks. Um, and I think that kind of comes from that rehab background that I kind of studied throughout my career. Um, the being able to adapt on the fly, um, integrity to uh, it, it pains me sometimes and sometimes I get in trouble for it because I'm brutally honest with our athletes. I'm brutally honest with our coaches. I'm going to set the tone right away. If I, if, if I got 850 student athletes that are trying to get through a weight room that is not space-wise equipped, I don't have four strength coaches on staff. I have super supportive sport coaches, but I'm kind of the singularly the strength coach. So I have to be brutally honest. If something's not going to work, I, I, I got to be ready. Um, and then bringing that family dynamic in for me, uh, when we look at our program, when we look at our weight room standards, that at best, it's it's just a language of love. I, I want the kids to feel safe. I want the kids to feel like that they're doing the right thing. Um, and if I don't take that from the top and I don't translate that to my sport coaches, then it's not going to trickle down to my athletes. I, I always think of it like the classic like Martin Rooney quote, like if, if I'm not doing it, then I know for damn sure my people aren't doing it. So if I if I can't hold myself to that standard, then I know my kids aren't going to be to that standard. And then when I move into kind of like my training philosophy from there, I live by high tides raise all boats. For us, we're a really competitive school. We're above average to very successful in almost every single sport. So if I break it down of 800-ish student athletes, if I split that into four classes, 
that's two, 200 kids in that senior class. Of those 200 kids, about 40 to 50 to 60 of those kids will go play collegiate athletics, which is well, well, well above the national average. So exposing our kids to a high level of training and training for the top side raises the average. I think for the most part, our the biggest success is not necessarily developing Division One kids. It, when a Division One kid, Division One level athlete comes to you, and they're a freshman, like I think of our freshman baseball players who are going to be very successful down the road. They came in with that skill, but it's developing a kid that may be a sophomore on JV that wants to play collegiate athletics wants to participate at the next level, but maybe doesn't have the skill, maybe doesn't have the performance right now in order to get there. They're still on the JV team as a sophomore. What can I do in my training, training of the athlete and how the athlete goes about it to develop them there? So I have to challenge them. I have to have high tides raise all boats, as well as the major benefit of having so many student athletes and a extremely large school is that it's it's feast or famine for us. It's constant competition. We'll have over 80 to almost 90 student athletes try out for our baseball program, and we'll take 40. If you don't fall in line, you're going to get out of line really, really quick. So I'm able to challenge um, our, our programs in the details of it. Uh, I always talk about with our kids, toughness is in the details. I'll slap a tempo on everything. I'm at a point now in year two where I almost don't have to explain how to read eccentric, isometric, concentric tempos to my kids. They can look at a workout and be able to do that because it's driven into their head constantly. Toughness is in the details because I'm going to challenge their brain because I know that as well as very successful athletic program, Ardrey Kell is an extremely successful academic school as well. A lot of our kids go to college. A lot of our kids go to really good colleges. People want to move into our school district because of that high quality. So I know I can challenge the brains because they're already at a higher level, even though I'm training most of our athletes after school. Man, that's awesome. There's so many pieces there that, you know, I want to, I want to talk about. And you struck on something for me that I was even in conversations with, uh, with another coach this week talking about it. My primary goal as a strength conditioning coach is to, while yes, I want to empower and yes, I want to drive the needle for for those top level guys, those guys that I have that are going to go to college. My primary goal as to service the sport teams is to provide, move the needle for the average kids the most. If I can bring our average up on a collective note and I can move the needle on those average kids, then we're going to be a really good team. If you look at state title contending teams that are year in and year out, they have their average really, really high. And then we can close that gap. Yes, we're still going to push that 1%. Yes, we're still going to push those, those kids that are going to be there at the top. But my thought process of, and, and as we were sitting there talking is how much of what we do and how much of our goal is focused on developing the kids, not developing the talent. Because I think there's ways in being in where I am in Georgia, there's talent everywhere. We've got talented kids to every level from single A all the way up to 7A in every sport. How do we develop those kids? Because I look around and there's some strength coaches in our industry that that really thrive and they've made a name for themselves, but they're primarily working with the top 1% of talent who no matter what they do, 
they're going to get results. They're going to be that athletic. They're going to be twitchy because they've got some of those talented kids. How do you guys, how do you find that balance between working with that top level athlete, those guys that are going to go to college no matter what and be successful and, but still reach those guys that in the, the girls that are maybe not as talented physically or coordinated physically or twitchy or whatever, um, and getting them up to raise that average and raise that, raise that standard for you guys. I think simplifying our processes, um, especially for me as a coach, like I, I look at Olympic lifting per se. We don't do Olympic lifting more so because of space and time constraints. If I have an athlete twice a week, 45 minutes, I, I don't have that kind of time. I, I just don't. So what can I do exercise-wise, going back to that toughness in the details, in order to develop our top side, but also our bottom side? How can I raise the floor for our kids? I, like I just had a conversation with our football coach yesterday that, you know, we're, we're looking at our football roster because off season starts on Monday, off season training starts for us on Monday. We don't have a very large senior class. We don't have big play where we were covered in big play this year, covered in big play. So what are we going to be able to do in order to raise the average, but also just make like, we're going to have to be okay with being above average high school football players. It's just going to have to be, but having kids coaching kids because of space. Like, so for us, I'll take football, for example, right now. So I I have athlete only first block that right now is about 35 football players. We have 110 kids moving into our off season. So of those 35, some of those kids will stay after school and help me coach. Those 35 kids are most of my leaders in my program, most of my best kids. So they're over there, not only learning leadership, learning how to coach, but motivating and kind of directing from there. We have that internal, really good internal competition because of that piece of famine dynamic that our kids are going to challenge themselves. But then putting the toughness in the details of really, I wouldn't even say simple, but basic exercises that everyone is doing. Like I will slap isometric and eccentric loading on almost every single exercise. So because of what we know from Charles Poffman, for example. My kids are going to grow. My kids are going to get stronger because I'm having them strain through tension. They may not be able to grip 30-pound weights, but they're going to develop from there because I'm throwing tension and I'm driving because of that. As well as what I've learned about the high school mind is that I don't spend a whole lot of time tracking our weights, especially in our accessory exercises. But what the kids naturally do is that they're going to go to what's comfortable. So if I'm, I'll take like a, I think of like our field hockey team right now. I have a field hockey girl who's whatever I throw at her, she's going to be good at it. But what I've found with her is that she's always going to see comfortability, a.k.a. the number of the weight that is on it. So we're doing rear foot elevated split squats, two dumbbells. She's going to go to 30 pound dumbbells because that's what she did last week. That's what she's comfortable with. So the big number is scarier, especially with female athletes. She's going to go to that 30-pound dumbbell. Okay, so if I'm doing four sets of five for six weeks, is she making progress? No. But if I do four sets of five this week, four sets of six next week, four sets of seven next week, or, oh, I upped one second on tension. I I added more isometric holds. I added more this. 
that I'm almost tricking my athletes in order to develop backside because they're going to seek comfortability. They're going to seek, they're, they're not necessarily going to be like, oh, I'm going to go put more weight on the bar, especially with my female. Um, my football guys, a little bit different. I, I, sometimes we got to dial those back. Um, but then making them and almost forcing them into situations of things that they are not good at, that they're going to get good at because we're going to do it slowly and we're going to strain under tension, not necessarily weight. Sure. And you, you kind of hit on something there too that I've found not necessarily, I wouldn't say a struggle, um, but something that I found that naturally comes with it is like the thought process, especially of parents that are driving, like they want their kids to be successful. So they're going to send their kids to this trainer and that trainer. Oh, you're doing weights during school. Well, that's great. Well, what, what can we do on the weekends? What can we do on those in the afternoons? What are we going to do? Um, and they send kids to other trainers. They're kind of, how do you, how do you develop that with your athletes and how do you guys manage that with your, uh, with your guys? So the way that I handle it is trying to build relationships outside of the walls of our hotel. So whether that be physical therapists that have our kids, psychologists that have our kids, personal trainers that have our kids, um, to make it a positive relationship. So I think of like we have a we have a senior lacrosse and football athlete that's going to play lacrosse at West Point. I work alongside his personal trainer to understand what buckets the personal trainer is filling and understand what buckets I need to fill. For the most part, and if you're a personal trainer listening to this, I'm going to blanket you right now, they're going to take the simple way out or they're going to take the flashy way out. So it's either going to be super, super basic or it's going to be super, super complex, which they don't necessarily need. So for us, like when I'm talking to that personal trainer who trains my senior lacrosse athlete, um, who is obviously very, very good and very, very structured if he's going to West Point. I know that personal trainer does not have space in his facility to run max velocity. So for me as a strength and conditioning coach and taking that core value of adaptability, I know that I have to fill that bucket for that athlete. So meshing it from there. Um, for football and baseball, where I see like a lot of personal trainers kind of go, I have my guys three to four times a week. I'm trying to give them as much knowledge that they're going to go to the gym on their own. And I know that they're going to go to the gym on their own. We only barbell bench press once a week. And that's only because I know that they're going to do it without me. So I might as well have them do it with me. So making the kids knowledgeable for that is important, but also that constant communication. So I remember last year, like I spoke at the North Carolina state clinic for NHSSCA about rehabilitation of athletes and how kind of like the assessment of everything goes into that. And when we talk about high performance model for us, it's a high performance culture at this point, our kids are extremely hardworking so much so that some of our kids overwork. So knowing when to dial it back, but just that constant communication being okay with that, they're going to personal trainers outside of this, having a conversation with a kid who I know may train outside of school good or not, um, no matter what coach they're going to, and just be like, what did you do yesterday? Or did you go see, or when's the last time that you've been there? And just gaining knowledge of what they've done. Because for the most part, high school athletes are pretty resilient. And you can do a lot of the same stuff on a consistent basis too. That's not necessarily going to be overdoing it as long as you're volumizing correctly. 
Um, so just kind of that constant communication for us, the ebbs and flows, um, and just having really good personal relationships, one with the athletes, but two with the coaches that they're going and seeing outside the walls of Archer Kell. Sure. So I think kind of how I structure a little bit and I'll ask you the same question is I've kind of changed because of the number of kids that I know are going to train with their dad or going to the gym uh, outside or going to see other trainers. Um, kind of how I've structured it almost is almost, I would say, to not necessarily a full in-season program, but there's a lot more in-season or preseason um, throughout the entire year because I know a high percentage of our guys are going to go train. And what I've told our guys is, look, let me handle our big movements. Let me handle our performance stuff. When you go to the gym, I want you to train the things you want to train. I want you to train arms. I want you to train chest. I want you to train back. I want you to train those things that, that you enjoy. I want you to train those things that you do. Uh, but leave the big stuff, leave your squats, leave your cleans, leave your bench, leave your deadlift and your sprinting and jumping to me. Let us focus on those in class. Um, so that's kind of actually changed a little bit of the way that I do it um, and how I approach this time, especially this time of year being January. Uh, you know, we're, for the most part, I think the vast majority of even, let's just say football for or off season in general, um, are trying to add size to those, those younger kids, add volume and, and train the movements and do this and that. Um, it's actually kind of trained, changed a little bit of the way that I train our kids um, and the way that we approach some of that interaction between them because of the number um, of kids that are, are going to seek extra work outside of what we do. Um, so do, do you find yourself changing, not necessarily changing your entire approach to training, but changing how you program um, with larger or with teams that you know are uh, more focused or have a lot more of those uh, percentage going to other places or other work outside? I don't really see myself changing my program too much. Um, I think limiting how much hypertrophic work I'm really focusing on, um, because uh, especially with males, that they're going to be meatheads. They're either going to go do one rep maxes or they're going to go do 20 rep maxes. So where in my program am I going to find that middle ground? So training power, training speed, um, training the rep ranges of those, I think is what we see the most. Um, like, I think if you were, if I just send you my program and you look at it, and if you almost just, if I was to white out the tempos that you cannot see them, you'd be like, oh my God, you are under volumizing your athletes. But that's because I know for damn sure they're going to the YMCA down the road and they're volumizing themselves. So I, I, I like what you bring up of the leave the big rocks to me and then put the accessories on them. Um, it, it's just finding like kind of that like middle ground. I think constantly posting my workouts too. like my football guys know the schedule of what our workouts are going to be. Like I remember I had a kid come up to me last year, like, well, I bench pressed yesterday and he bench pressed on a Sunday with his dad. I'm like, what have we done on Monday for the past three months? And he's just like bench press. I'm like, so what do you think you should be doing if you're working out on a Sunday? He's just like, probably not bench press. Not bench I'm like, good. <laughs> Boom. Like that's all right. So we've we've started that thought process. Um, so I think I think finding that middle ground of you you can blanket your kids, you can label your kids pretty quick. I, I mean, you'll get the outliers that are extremely detail oriented. Like I, I know one of our wide receivers um, that I've built a really really good relationship with. I know what he's doing outside. So when he comes to me, 
he's asking me a lot of questions, but that's also the same kid that asked me if I heard of triphasic two months after I got to Argent Hell. He's like, have you heard of triphasic training? I was reading up online of it. I'm like, man, you're, 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 too, you're almost too. We do it every day. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that you guys have, but you have that buy-in and that's the things the kids, you know, I took uh, one of the coaches that I work with um, back in, back in Ohio, he used to say, it's easier to say, I'd, I'd prefer to say woe than sick them. Like I, it's a much easier for us to make adaptions to, uh, to what we do and how we do things to accommodate the fact that the kids want to work than it is to you know try to motivate and get kids to work on a, I mean, you're always going to have a couple, but um, from a culture perspective of a team and a performance program, I think that's a that's a very good good problem to have. Um, and kind of a, to circle back to something you were talking about, um, you were talking about how you're talking with the head coach. You're talking about how the changes that need to be made, what your focuses need to be as you guys move into this next season, um, and how you guys can how they can be successful because you didn't have those big time playmakers. So when it comes to talking and planning with coaches. Obviously, um, APIs or measurables, markers, those are all things that we've that are, that are big time right now to talk about. Um, everybody's collecting a lot. Of, not everybody. The vast majority of coaches are collecting data right now. Uh, but what are those big things, those big markers, the big KPIs that you're looking for in your program? Um, do, first of all, do they change between teams? And if they do, you know, what, what are those considerations? But what are the big things that you look for when it comes to the kids you're training and the performance programs? I think attendance is obviously the first big KPI that we all talk about. The more the more that we see our kids, the more controlled, the more consistent that they are. Um, outside of that, we'll do flying tens of varying distance lead-ins. Um, I'll do that in pretty much every single sport. Um, most of my KPIs are across every single sport because when I go down this list of flying tens, vertical jump, isometric, mid thigh pull, those are my KPIs. Outside of that, I'm just developing high school kids. Um, I think those are my big rocks. They're simple, they're effective, and they're repeatable. For me, and, and I've said this on another podcast as well, like when I got to Argicale, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to run APRE out the wazoo of all of my primary movements. When I'm in a room of 85 football players, 14, 18 years old, and I'm a singular strength and conditioning coach, I know for dang sure APRE ain't going to work as well as a squat test is going to be terribly inconsistent. A bench press test may be a little bit more consistent. There, there's a little less room for error with a bench press test. But for me, I can't watch every single thing that goes on. So I know it's not necessarily going to be valid. So for us, being able to look at an iPad and take that data point, write down that data point, and watch that data point either get better or get worse over time. Those are my key performance indicators. It, it, it's simple for me um, with the space constraints because if we look at my biggest restrictions in my program, it's time. Um, getting my athletes twice a week for 45 minutes for most of my sports probably isn't enough time. We can always we can always argue for more um, space and coach to, coach to athlete ratio. So why would I spend 20 minutes making sure that all of our squats are hitting depth with proper weight load and going through that and then having to go data process it, which we have team builder, which shout out team builder simplifies all the, all the data processing that I could possibly need. But 
I don't have that kind of time because if I like if twice a week for 45 minutes and we're doing a squat test, it's going to take us 20, 25 minutes of a workout. And I'm leaving way too many cards on the table when I'm, when I'm a stimulus chasing coach, I'm not a movement. I'm not dictated by movements. I'm dictated by stimulus. Sure. I think, um, I think there are times we get caught up in the numbers um it, it can kind of be give us paralysis by analysis where we're just sitting we're we're constantly moving the needle where and ultimately you you hit on it we're dealing with 14 to 18 year old teenage boys which for those that might be listening uh, that don't have that experience i would classify as um the least intelligent group of individuals that there are on the face of the earth um now obviously there's some exceptions but um, they're dictated by a couple things that none of which are the athletic performance. They want to get bigger. They want to get stronger, but that doesn't necessarily equate to being better at their sport. So um, you mentioned something there that I really want to uh, dive into, and that's being a stimulus chasing coach. So stimulus versus movement. When you're looking at stimulus, what are some of those things where maybe let's say um, we can talk about you know uh, speed and, and training speed here in a second when we talk about the stimuluses? But um, talking about specifically in the weight room, what are some of those stimuluses that you look for? The big boxes that you want to check throughout throughout the week, especially given time constraints, because I know there's coaches that will be listening to this that have some of those same time constraints that you do. Um, what are some of those big boxes that you want to check? Um, those stimuluses inside the weight room. Um, specifically so i think training the athlete to be healthier um is the first stimulus that uh, all of us pretty much chase um so the way that we go about it for us is eccentric loading um so training the athlete to take eccentric load and take heavy eccentric load especially in a lot of our primary movements um training the athlete isometrically uh, I, I love iso dumbbell split squats iso caustic squats especially with lower body stuff any iso stuff I'm constantly throwing into my program um, because that's just going to be able to take contact. Um, the dissipation of force is something that we all need to be able to do well. Um, and that's going to keep our athletes healthier over time. So that's for me training the athlete from the ground up. I train a lot of lower body movements in our program. Um, I want to start from the foot because that's that's the number one force dissipator that my athletes face. Because guess what? The ground, the ground is always there. We we have this beautiful thing in, in this world called gravity. We are going to be constantly fighting gravity. So how can I train the athlete to be able to adapt to gravity better? Um, because it, it affects all of us. It affects all of us. So in the weight room, having the eccentric and isometric component. Let's our athletes be more prepared for deceleration, which is where we see a lot of our injuries happen, or acceleration, where we could see some level of injuries happen as well. So pairing and contrasting power-based movements with either eccentric or isometric loads. So I'm going to train different levels of the force velocity curve. Um, I, like I said before, like we don't Olympic lift, but we certainly do some level of Olympic derivatives, but I'm going to jump or I'm going to take a trap bar speed pull. Sometimes that trap bar speed pull or that trap bar deadlift jump will be 95 pounds. 
sometimes that trap bar speed pull is going to be 335 pounds, 365 pounds uh, on the top side for our um, older and kind of best kids. That's going to be moving at different velocities. Um, so when I take that into a yearly plan, um, which I'm, I consider myself lucky that most of my kids are single sport athletes. I know what stimuluses they're facing throughout the year. So I can kind of program off of that to expose them to different velocities at different times in the weight room. And then complementing that um, with the speed program outside of just chasing different stimuluses and making sure that I hit every stimulus that they could kind of possibly be exposed to. So you, you kind of hit it there too, especially with your, so with your time constraints, how often are you guys getting outside and sprinting? Um, we're doing fly metrics or things like that. So for us, um, most of my male sports are able to get outside to get some level of sprint work. Um, football and baseball for us, we'll split, we'll sprint about twice a week. Um, for my other sports, a lot of it is getting plyometric based movements, either in the weight room or as part of our warm up. Um, and then what I've done is I've built out warm up plans for all of our coaches, depending on their sport. So we have a unified warm up, unified dynamic warm up for us. Uh, we, we utilize a DWMA system. And at this point, my sport coaches at least know the movements enough to tell the kids that, that, that that's what they're doing, like lunge reach over high side side to side lunge with a twist, single leg hip hinge, et cetera, et cetera. And then what I do is I make a checklist for our coaches. So to get our athletes to have certain exposures. So basketball, for example, I need them to get a proper true peak level acceleration almost every single day in practice. So that's how our basketball coaches finish their warmup for baseball per se. And I'll, speak more to in-season baseball they're going to be running first to third once a week every single week no matter if they're a pitcher no matter if they're a catcher no matter if they're an outfielder because i'm going to expose them to velocities that they're going to have to be prepared for and then for us and we, we can head down this technology route like having gps monitors is a major major benefit for us so like we have we have catapult and titan for us um, our women's soccer program is going to be moving into in season and they have some really, really good girls and they were really successful last year and planning to be very successful this year. We have catapult monitors on them. So I need to check every single week that they're hitting a certain level of max velocity exposure to keep our lower bodies healthy. Because I think going back to the stimulus chasing, I think max velocity is one. I love it. And I think it makes our program unique because I think people shy away from it a lot of the time, but that's a major checklist for me. I take pride of that. Our athletes do not get lower body soft tissue injuries when they get up to velocity, but making sure that the coaches are doing what's on their checklist of running 40 yards and letting the kid walk back, make it a race, make it, make it competition and doing it at the beginning of practice. So they're kind of at their best and then really just telling the sport coach what day they need to do it on. Um, so simplifying your processes of putting tools in your sport coach's toolbox allows us to chase stimulus when I'm not there. Absolutely. And you mentioned something 
when we got catapults, I went down, I went down the rabbit hole, man, with all the things that you can track and the things that you can measure. Um, and I mean, just conversing with guys like Mirkoof who have, you know, GPS on lock. Like you, if you want to talk about a topic with him on regarding GPS, like he's got years and years and years of data at his, at his, <laughs> at his fingertips that he can talk through. Um, and he remembers everything and can, can reference the performance in seasons and things like that, that kind of really bridges that, that gap between just the data points and the actual performance of athletes, which I think is what is where we're all trying to get to. Um, for, for people that don't necessarily may not have catapult or Titan or any kind of wearable GPS, what are some of those ways that you structure? What are some of those activities that you would do to kind of put in their fill box or their toolbox or put on their checklist? Uh, to make sure that they're hitting max velocity exposures or high uh, high intent acceleration, um, what are some of those activities or exercises, drills uh, that would help help them to be able to incorporate that to to get the most out of their athletes without being able to specifically say you were at X mile per hour? So I think, and we'll take it through the the range of acceleration. Um, so if I'm trying to train peak acceleration in my athletes. Um, you can really do that in the weight room relatively well through Olympic derivatives, jumping, et cetera, et cetera. But having your athletes broad jump as part of their warm-up or bound as part of their warm-up. Um, like we love stagger stance broad jumps. We know that our athletes are never going to really have their feet even with each other. So doing stuff out of a stagger stance and adding that to their warm-up, I think is important. Um make races, make chase games. Uh, I, I love like Zach DeCants from TCU's chase game variations that he uses with baseball players are really applicable for all sports. Uh, don't, don't think that speed, speed is only available to blah, 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 sport, blank sport. Um, so make it fun for your athletes. Game-wise, make it a competition. Like run at 10 yards and don't be last. For the most part, <laughs> kids don't want to be last. Kids don't want to be the outlier on their team. Kids don't want to be the slowest. I'm going to expose them to that. Um, and then for the max velocity component, uh, we love straight leg bounds. Our athletes actually love doing them because um, I'll make fun of a lot of them, and especially our football guys who I'm a little bit more honestly sarcastic with. Like I'll tell them where the marching band is going to be on Friday nights when they're leaning all the way back doing a straight leg bound. Um, but really we're doing straight leg bounds to expose high velocity foot contacts and how that affects the hamstring. Um, the same way that running 30 to 40 yards, 50 yards, um, depending on the sport can expose. Um, Buildups are huge. Most of our athletes get exposed to the Altus system. I'm a big dribble bleed sprint person of that they're going to keep their shape as they go, build, 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 build until they're exposed at higher velocities. Um, and if we just do that consistently enough, what we'll see is not only is the athlete going to be healthier, the athlete can actually develop in season and get faster by only doing two to three reps. For the most part, and I'm thinking recency bias here, I had our girls soccer team out yesterday on the turf. We were running 20 yard building flying tens. We ran until we stopped getting faster for the most part for, I think all of our girls, but one who I, I was laughing with the girl soccer coach. I'm like, yeah, she's a repeatability master. Like if you look at her, she's just going to repeat constantly. Um, most of them got slower on their third rep. So they're done. 
that they they check that stimulus. Minimal dosing, especially in sprinting velocity component, and we can look at Tony Hollers beat the cats, for example. Minimal dosing that we're not going to train our athletes to be slower because we're going to stop them before they start getting slower. Like running 10 40-yard sprints, trying to make it a race constantly isn't necessarily going to get your athletes faster because you're going to start training them at only 85 to 90% of their max. If I train them at 100% of their max and say that, okay, we're done for the day, the 100% is going to develop better over time because I'm not training them to be slow and sloppy. So as soon as you get that dose, you're done. Leave it alone. Decipher what your speed work is, what your conditioning work is, and what the goal is for the day. Um, Whether it's you or whether you're a sport coach or whether you're conveying that to a sport coach, just say, you do this, this, and this, and it takes you four minutes to do. Uh, we can we can hopefully track benefit over time, and what we've seen at Ardrakel is that we do have the benefit over time. Sure, and I think you you mentioned something there that's huge, and you brought um, Tony Holler and Pete the Cats. Um, you saw something even last summer. I didn't have Titan catapult before we got catapults. Didn't have any way of, of physically measuring outside of hands, uh, stopwatch, and you know those are obviously not. Not the greatest, but we still, we rank record published. And how we did that was we had those races. We separated them into groups. We separated them into nine different groups based off age and position group with our football guys. We had races over different distances. We had different styles of races and variations. We had tags. And we all we would do would be, hey, here's our winner. So it increased our inherent competition. Our guys were driving. They were, uh, they were training really, really hard. And we got faster anecdotally because I don't have I didn't have the way of measuring it until we got catapults um, and then I was able to say hey these measurables that I collect being whether it's uh, when we're talking specifically with GPS whether it's top speed player load sprint distance these measurables improved over the course of our season we were able not only were we hitting our max velocities well we're hitting them in quarter three and quarter four so that tells me that it, or we're being more efficient with our ability to play the game it allows us to still track our stimulus. We're able to create high intensity uh, stimulus and max speeds in that third and fourth quarter. And that's really what we want. Um, if our guys are able to do them in first quarter one and quarter two, but come quarter three, quarter four, we're not. Well, guess what? We're not going to win a ton of ball games because we're not going to be able to hang around in that late distance. So um, I think our ability as coaches to be able to drive intent and our ability as coaches to be able to um, create competition is a huge uh, piece in what we do, especially when it comes to speed development. Um, and like you said, no one wants to be the slow, the slowest. No one wants to be the, the last one to finish. Um, and I think those are very obvious. So our ability to, as coaches, to take the time outside of our sessions to create groups and create, um, manage our ability to coach these things and get those desired outcomes. Well, yeah, if we put all of our O-linemen together, some of them are going to be inherently faster. Well, that last half may not want to compete anymore. So how can I, and, it, and then they're slacking. They're not, they're getting those sloppy 80%. They're not getting full because they're like, well, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to be in the top half. So why try? Um, and I think that's where the art of coaching comes into it for us to be able to manage the, manage our sessions, manage our kids, 
but also manage the ability to have those conversations and, and push kids to succeed. So I think you you hit the you know the nail on the head, and that's how we provide the highest quality stimulus to our kids as we push them forward. So you you develop those toolboxes, you develop those checklists to give to the coaches during warmups and during sessions to make um, to help them. What are some of the ways um, you educate sport coaches? Um, not having an assistant yourself. Um, how do you educate sport coaches? Um, what are some of those things that you teach them or you trust them with um, in order to kind of get an extension of yourself and almost have an assistant by having a sport coach in there with you when you can? I think just consistent conversation with a sport coach and was major benefit for me is that if and when our teams, especially in season, are training in the weight room, the sport coach is required to be there. Um, that was something that was built before I got to RJKL. Um, and it becomes a major benefit because not only do I show and blah, 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 like proof in the pudding that, oh, she's getting stronger, Sally's stronger than this, or look at that, like look at the difference in that. Um, so educating sport coaches when you can in small doses. Uh, <laughs> I think we can be very quick and, and I found it early on in my career. And I think young coaches are very quick into overdoing that side of stuff. Like I remember I was laughing at Cody Hughes's tweet the other day of us on, us on a um, catapult report or a GPS report. And it was like, and I remember um, last year, I was I was heading to my wedding, so I was going to be gone for two weeks right at the start of August. So I had to explain what the GPS report to our football coaches is. And I remember our wide receivers coach, he's just like, so just look at the colors, right? I'm like, yeah, just look at the colors. I'm like, green, look like, colors. green is good, red is bad, yellow is good still, and, and everything else. Um, so making it simple for them, but also – simplifying it for yourself that you're not going to overdo it. Like don't spend hours on end in spreadsheets to put it on a coach's desk or send it to a coach. They look at it for two seconds and they're like, all right, cool. That's it. Conversation is the number one thing. Um, as well as being visible, go show, go be on your athlete sports games. Um, but don't overdo that too. Like go go to the big rivalry games or just go to a random game sometimes. Don't always be there because then it's going to turn into an expectation. But just see your athletes um, and then support your coaches. Check in, send them a text after a big win or send them a text after a loss. Like tough loss last night, but girls did great. Like we're going to get there. We're, we're going to be on your side constantly. Um, but then also letting the sport coach ask questions. Um, we have really, really thorough sport coaches at Arjakel, um, which is a major prop, like a major plus for me. Um, and some of them are almost too thorough, but finding that middle ground that I'm going to be an extension of your bench. Yes, I'm the director of strength and conditioning, but I'm the strength and conditioning coach for the volleyball team. I'm the strength and conditioning coach for the basketball team. But then I'm not going to coach basketball. The basketball coach isn't going to coach strength and conditioning and drawing that line too of how can I help you by being an extension of your bench? Is it warm-up plans? Is it recovery sessions? Is it like my girls feel this? All right, let's do this. Um, 
and having that adaptability component of just not overdoing stuff. Like, guess what? Sport coaches don't know the science of strength and conditioning like we do. I can stand there all the time. And I remember I was talking to our girl soccer coach one time. I'm like, yeah, like I'd love to do some like French contrast stuff um, with the girls like during the season. And she's just like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds good to me. And then just kind of like walked away. Like they don't care. Like I, I don't need, I don't need to explain every single little detail, but I need to be visible enough and open enough to answer questions and ask the right ones, but not overdoing yeah. it at the same time. Absolutely. I think it's about giving them enough to know like, Hey, why is this going to be effective? How is this going to help you? Um, but draw that line and, and be able to say it. And, you know, I, I guess we'll, I guess we'll go into this con- this conversation next. So, and before I say this, and before I state this question, I don't want this to sound as if I'm making a blanket statement to every sport coach out there and putting this on them. But I think inevitably, and we're seeing it now, um, where and speaking of education, we're seeing this a lot more every year this time of year. That match like coaches, sport coaches specifically, running weight rooms, um, are having an a detrimental impact on students. They're getting hurt. They're sending kids to the hospital. We saw even at the collegiate level recently, uh, five individuals got sent to the hospital because of an exercise, because of a exercise, uh, non, a non-strength conditioning coach running a session. How do we, as coaches who care about the profession, how do we educate sport coaches? How do we continue to grow the profession? But uh, more specifically, how do we or what resources would you recommend to sport coaches running weight rooms in order to get them plugged in and able to get them um, up to speed? So, A, they don't find themselves being dismissed from jobs. B, their kids are healthy enough to compete. Um, and we're not taking away from our kids' ability to grow, develop, and become the best athletes they can. So what athlete or what resources would you suggest to coaches? to help educate them and get them up if they don't have the resources to hire a strength conditioning trainer. I think social media is a good and bad tool a lot of the time, but just spending some time on it, looking at different things. Um, like well, I built a relationship with you two through social media and now we're in a group text together that it, it's, it's more so coach Raz constantly asking questions, but if you know, coach Raz, that, that that's how it's going to be um but having a relationship built that. yeah nothing wrong with it not not knocking on you too much there uh, is decipher what has places in your program by asking questions like i think people are so quick to be afraid to just send that tweet ask that question message that coach when there's a good majority, and especially at the high school level, that are open and willing to answer a question, to send like I, I like I'm I'm in the C is for conditioning cohort right now with with Raz, and then obviously that whole crew as well. Like we were talking about football energy system development, and Tim Kettenring sent his football energy system development to everyone, and then I put up like. Here's mine. Like, if anyone like wants to see it or wants to break it down, like, let me know if there's any questions. And there's a high school strength coach in Texas that I sent it to because he just he was just like, I just want to see different things. Um, I think people are so quick to put themselves in one boat too, 
when social media, like there's a lot of different right answers to get there. Sure, there's plenty of wrong, but there's a lot of right or there's a lot of things that you can decipher if they're right for you. Um, there's openness with that. I think that's high school strength and conditioning is beautiful for that matter because um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock on some coaches right now. I'm a high school strength coach. I email all of our college signees, um, strength coaches. Only about 50% of those coaches answer. Yep. Is it because I'm a high school strength coach? Is it because they're too busy? Is it because blah, blah, blah? I don't know. I was a collegiate strength coach. I've, I've worked in the private sector. I've worked in all these different places. I've worked with just football, just basketball. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I can speak the language of them, but as a community in strength and conditioning, and as strength and conditioning coaches, just answer the email, answer the question. Like, there's a reason why people are asking questions. Like, I hate seeing on Twitter now where, like, people like will respond back like with a question, and and I've done it too. Like, I answer the question, and people are just like, "Thank you." Like, I was really just wondering, like, what was going on. Like, do we need to say that? Are we at a point that we just have to say, I was like not being malicious by any way or wasn't attacking your program? Like, like we've gotten to that point. And that's where, for the most part, high school strength coaches um, are one, ready and willing, and two, open and like we're constantly posting stuff because we just care to learn a little bit more. We can learn from a collegiate strength coach. And that's really all that we want to do when we send that email or that message on Twitter or that DM on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where I think, like, bias opinion, the NHSSCA has been so good to people like me. I'm going to age myself here. I'm 26 years old. Four years ago, I was coming out of college. Like, I graduated college. I graduated grad school during COVID. Like, I'm very young in my career all in all. I didn't figure this out on my own. You got to ask the right questions to the right people. And what the NHSSCA has brought me is relationships with people like you two. It's relationships that like it, hashtag family. Like that's a thing. Like we feel it. Like I went to NatCon. I, I had conversations with the both. Raz's was a little bit more positive than attacking Mullins for his barbecue choices, but whatever. We'll, we'll, right, we'll leave okay. it at that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, Texas strength coaches. Mullins doesn't like Texas Texas barbecue. Listen, just, just, I didn't say I don't like it. I said I have other preferences to it. I have other choices I would take before it. All right, now I'm gonna have all of those same strength coaches DMing me. So thanks, I appreciate you. Yeah, you got it. I wonder what's um, gonna happen at this year's NatCon. Yeah, evidently, <laughs> I'm evidently uh, Missy Mitchell, Macbeth, and I are gonna be throwing down because of our snack choices, but. We'll see what else is going to happen. It's going to be interesting. Hey, don't worry about it. I mean, they're going to be attacking me for my hatred of ranch. So um, <laughs> that's that's a that's a topic. They could be attacking you for your Tennessee hat right now, but I'm not going to say anything. They're dogs. <laughs> uh, Bob, anyway. I want I want to chime in a little bit because uh, Kyle says something that kind of hit home for me. Right, being someone that's kind of green into the field of strength conditioning, kind of learning stuff like that, you know, when I was first kind of getting into it, I was like, I was kind of afraid to ask a question, you know, because I don't want to seem like a dumbass. I didn't want to seem like 
Um, I didn't know what I was talking about, but I mean, for any young coach, that's probably the best resource for you. DMing, DMing you know, coaches that are better than you, that have had more experience, that got a little bit more skin in the game. I mean, I'm not afraid to ask a question that much anymore. I mean, I ask y'all probably two or three questions per month. It's like, hey, what's this? What's what's this going on? Explain this, because honestly, I just want to know. And it's better to know and have that knowledge than to sit there and question everything and wonder if you're doing the right thing. So mm-hmm. I, I just want to highlight Without that. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I think, um, you know, I just had a guy come over last week or two weeks ago. Uh, he did a site visit and he reached out and was saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm a PE teacher. I'm a sport coach. I'm in the weight room, but I'm, I wouldn't classify myself as a strength conditioning coach. Um, I want to come over. Would it be okay if I came over, talk shop for a little bit, saw how you guys run things, uh, to find ways to and improve your program? And you know, I absolutely 100% jumped on that the first moment. You know, anytime we can, um, where we can open our doors to to those guys, I think that's something that we as strength coaches should be doing because at the end of the day. I, mean, I, I told my kids this. They they asked me why uh, I told him he could he could come over and, and hang out with us and, and watch what we do. Like, and they said, "Aren't you scared that he's going to take your program and he's going to implement it there?" And I said, "No, absolutely not." Because at the end of the day, I'm more confident in the way that I can get you guys to execute our program. I'll give my program to you know, physically what we do. I'll give it to anybody because I'm confident in the way that. I handle our program and how I motivate our guys and the expectations that we've built and the culture we've built to execute what we're doing. So I'll give my program to anybody um, and I'll talk shop and I'll talk about my program with anybody, not because of, I think, you know, I'm on the cutting edge. No, but more so because I think I'm able to, uh, to share those with anybody. And I want genuinely want to help. I mean, that's why people like, you know, coach Raz, why, you're even on this podcast. You guys are on this podcast with us because we're talking about the industry. We're talking about ways we can make things better. So don't feel, you know, that hesitancy to reach out to coaches. Don't feel that hesitancy to, uh, to sound, sound dumb or sound stupid or sound like we don't know what we're talking about because at the end of the day, there's always somebody out there smarter than us. Um, there's people out there a lot, a heck of a lot smarter than me, um, which is why, building the community and uh you know having those resources like you said i think the nhssca is one of the best resources that you guys that any coach um regardless high school or even middle school coaches can join uh, because it it provides depth for people that you know that you can ask questions to i know right now if i have a question about speed i'm calling either kyle or i'm calling joe stakowski i have questions about rehab I know I'm calling someone else or someone specific to that major. If I'm asking about powerlifting specifically, I'm calling this or driving intent or middle school. Um, I have different people who, who I would say specialize in certain things. Now we're, I would say we're all good, very good at what we do across the board, but we each have our specialty. And without the organization, without the ability to have those conversations, um, I don't think I'm the coach that I am today. I'm, I'm doing my athlete a disservice by not asking those questions. I'm doing all my future athletes a disservice by not asking those questions because I'm too afraid of how I'm going to look or how I'm going to be perceived. So I think you hit, man, you hit the nail on the head with that answer, man. Um, and it kind of leads me into, and you said something specific that I want to, I want to hone in on. You said something very specific about being able to take information and see if it fits your program. And this brings me to kind of an art of reflection. 
because I think all of us as coaches, as teachers specifically, we hear this in our education programs. My student teacher mentor um, gave this to me is that the best teachers, best coaches are the ones that are able to honestly and completely reflect on a lesson or on a method and be able to say what worked, what didn't, how can it change so that they can implement those changes. And they don't continue to make the same mistakes. If it's extra, if it's excess and it can be cut out, cut it out so that that way we're hitting those big boxes. So what are some, some of the ways, Kyle, that you kind of approach that reflection aspect like, and how you look back maybe on a session or maybe a, like an off season and say, this worked, this didn't. Are there any formal ways that you do it? Um, do you keep notebooks? Like what are some of those best practices that, in your opinion? I think being honest with yourself, I think is a huge start to it. Um, so in our program, <laughs> and I'll have some coaches make fun of me for it because now I even put it on a damn T-shirt. The notion of fail fast. Um, I learned that from Matt Gildersleeve, who was one of my mentors, who's now at University of Kansas. Like, there's no fear in anything that I do. Uh, I think there's there's some people that walk around that are scared to push the envelope. I'm gonna keep pushing that envelope. There's gonna be some stuff like this. All don't work. It don't work. Like. Sometimes I'll try, like, I'll try stuff. I'll try it usually on myself first, but um, that adaptability component, like, there's some stuff that just doesn't work for kids. I'm going to program from the top side, but then trickle it down from there and just having, like, that honest honesty. Um, I keep a notebook on hand during my sessions. Uh, lately, I haven't been writing a whole lot into it. One, because it's on the fly so much and our numbers have grown. Like we we've added three to four teams new into the weight room just this winter. So I'm still figuring those athletes out. So I haven't been taking a whole lot of notes, um, but seeing athletes consistently. So we talk about KPI of attendance. I can trickle that down, especially for us and the location of where I am in the school, a visibility of a person. The more that I see someone, the more successful my program is being. And that's not necessarily just our training sessions. I want our athletes to come see me during lunch, to come ask a question, go walk around the hall. Like I always like, I'm lucky that my planning period is during our lunch block and I got to walk by where kids eat lunch in order to get to a lot of the school. I'll just walk to the mail room. I don't have a package. Usually I don't have very much in my mailbox. I'm walking to see the kids. I'm walking to be visible. And the more excited that they are, that you're around, you're probably more successful in your program, no matter what you're doing. Um, Cause it's going back to like, I'll send my program to anyone. I have my programs posted online. I have all these different resources. NHSSCA has all these different resources. But it's not about what we do. It's about how we do it. It's how we go about it. There is no, sec there is no secret sauce ever. None of us, none of us are coming up with new ideas. Except like the very few that are researchers on top of being coaches. There's not a whole lot of new ideas. It's adapting ideas, but we're not the original strength and conditioning coaches. We're doing a lot of the same stuff that they were doing in the 70s and the 80s. I go down to 
blah, blah, blah school, they're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff that I'm doing. But it's power going about it. Like, how do we create a successful strength and conditioning program? Making the kids want to come back. Making the kids enjoy to be there. That's success to me. It's not necessarily something like, oh, I've developed this kid from blah, blah, blah. Like, they're going to develop on their own. But if I've built a relationship that they're visible enough and I see them more often, they're excited constantly. Like, our kids love being in the weight room. But right above that door, every single day when they walk in, there's fail fast, and that's their definition. That's, I wouldn't say our war cry, but enough to put it on the back of a T-shirt, which is how we grade a lot of the sayings in our field. <laughs> but I want my kids to live by it because there is no fear. And it's the same thing for me. I'm not afraid to push my kids. I'm not afraid to straighten it. I'm not afraid to program something that may or may not work. But if I go through my life and go through coaching, especially afraid, then I know for damn sure my athletes are going to be. And that's circling all the way back to that Martin Rooney quote that if I'm not doing it, I know for damn sure my people aren't doing it. If I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating right. I know for damn sure my people aren't because they see you. You're visible too, as much as they are. Social media, everything. You're visible. People know, people will jump to conclusions about you. So what's what's the what's the picture that you're painting for them? No doubt. And I think um, our ability as coaches to be able to step back, I think so often we get caught up in not that it's wrong, obviously, because it's a vital portion of our job and and physically coaching movements, coaching stimulus, coaching kids. We sometimes forget to take a step back and just just observe the room. Like our kids working hard, our kids actively engaged, our kids coaching each other. How is the session moving itself? Uh, how are our kids laughing and having a good time as they're walking out the door? Um, do they feel like they worked, but are they excited they come back tomorrow? Our kids habitually late getting down to the weight room because they're just uh, moving slow because they didn't want to be there. Like, I think these are all questions that, you know, we should habitually be asking ourselves over and over again, because that allows us to identify things that maybe we need to uh, improve on. Um, it allows us to have conversations with kids that maybe we wouldn't have been able to have before if we aren't taking the time to observe and take notes and things like that. So I think that the, those biggest reflections are um, based off our ability to sit there and objectively look and be honest with ourselves as coaches. To say is this working like for instance a you know offensive coordinator on the football team is who's running let's say this isn't a knock to wink to you guys i love to run the ball um and i think our our offense is predicated on running the ball but if you're running buck sweep buck sweep buck sweep buck sweep and it's fourth quarter and you guys have 40 yards of offense probably not working well and you need to be able to have uh, honest conversations with yourself at the end of the game at the end of the year and at certain times along the way saying is this the best system for our kids and do we really believe in it and is this right um if the answer can be no well then we need to adapt to it uh, and i think as strength coaches we oftentimes do the same thing and and just go through the motions with our programs and not ask ourselves is it effective is what we're doing right um so i think that's i think that's a huge skill that um that we should develop more whether it's in conversations with other coaches that see our program or conversations like this that happen to and Really, last question um, that I have for you um, is it's job season. It's that time of year where um, we're seeing postings, we're seeing openings can open. 
what advice would you give to uh, maybe a new coach who's never been looking for their first full-time opportunity? Maybe if they're a coach that's switching buildings for the first time, um, whatever it is, what, what advice do you give uh, to, to a coach walking into a new facility? I think if you're on the job hunt, being honest and open with yourself first. Um, there's financial struggles. There's locations like coaching can take you to some really amazing places and coaching can take you to some really not so amazing places. So look at yourself like don't move to a job in a place that you don't want to live in. Don't take a job that ain't going to pay you enough to sustain your life. Like go, go do something. Cause I've made that mistake. Like we, we moved to New York one, when we graduated undergrad, like living in Rochester and Buffalo, New York was very, very hard on my wife and I's relationship. It's really, cold. it was a big mistake and it's really cold. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, and I'm a hot weather person. Give me, give me all the heat. Give me all the heat. That's why we moved from Ohio um, to Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> so being open and honest with yourself, like maybe that's not doable. Yeah, it'd be cool. Sure. Yeah, I'd I'd love to work in professional baseball. You want to know what they pay professional baseball strength coaches? Not very much more than a high school coach. Maybe even less a lot of the time. Yeah, is it cool to chase a logo? Yeah. All of us would love to be the strength and conditioning coach for University of Alabama football or Georgia. Sorry, Dan. University of Georgia football. All of us would want to do that. All of us would love to win a national title. Is it doable for my life? Is it really worth it at the end of the day? To be an open and honest with yourself. And then when you get in the building, take some time. None of this was built during, like, in a day. I took over, so shout out Coach Bosman, who was the strength coach at Archer Kell before me. He was the state coach of the year for the NHSSCA the year before I got there. Guess what? He's probably a pretty damn coach if he wins that award. But I had to go in with, this is how my program's going to be. These are my big rocks. But also, I'm going to have to give some props to the guy before me. I can't completely overhaul. Like I remember like the first session, the first day I was there, baseball was lifting after school. I went in. They were doing hang cleans. And I knew when I went into that program that I probably wasn't going to be doing cleans. Did I immediately go and say, hand cleans are the worst exercise in the world? No. It, it, you want to lose kids really, really quick? Take something away that they don't know why you took it away and where it went and how it's going to change immediately. So I found the middle ground. This is what we're going to focus on. This is why we're going to focus on it. But then just be open and honest with your kids too, with your athletes. I'll lay it on the table to any of my sport coaches. And I laid it on the table to my student athletes as well. I'm the most open and honest person as possible because integrity is one of my core values, but I will not chase you. I will not chase you as a coach. I will not chase you as a student athlete because guess what? I got 850 student athletes. I got people beating down this door. So if you don't want to be here, I'm okay with it. Some of us don't aren't that lucky, but some of us probably need to say that to ourselves too. Like, Am I going to beat myself up constantly because it doesn't look a certain way when it takes a while to build stuff? Like for me, like year two of our program, we're seeing success. We're not to where I want to be, but we're going to get there. Like my freshman class right now is probably our most important. 
am I going to get every single senior to where they want to be in three months? No, not possible. Am I going to sit there and think about it constantly? Yeah, a lot of us will, but at some point you're going to have to move past it. Um, and then I think the last thing, and I feel with you guys, and Raz is a little bit younger than me, and when we were talking the other day, have people know you well. I think a lot of us are quick to try to get to know as many people as possible in this field. When really it should almost be the opposite. I want 10 people to know me really, really well than 100 people to just know my name. Like the two of you can speak to what I do in my program because you've seen my program because you've asked about it. When I go, like, say I want to move to Georgia, no matter what school it is. Dan's built enough of a name to reach out to whatever athletic director I'm applying under or connecting me to a job, to a place that I want to be. And they know me really, really well. And I think that's where young coaches go wrong, especially on the job search right now, is that they try to do this, 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 this. They try to spread out when they should be going up for themselves. Get to know people. Have people that can go to bats for you, no matter the walk of life, because we're all Googleable. We're all on. We're all on Twitter. We're all on social media. Like if 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 Raz wants to become a strength and conditioning coach in North Carolina, per se, and I'm the director of the HSSCA for North Carolina, and we got a pretty good relationship. One, I'm going to go to bats for him because I know him really, really well. But two. I've built enough of a name for myself in order to gain ground and find that middle ground. They know what's on paper. They see my stuff and being visible. That's going back to be visible is going to hopefully progress over time. Absolutely, man. And I think, I think the success that you guys are experiencing obviously has a, has a piece of it being played by, the, the value that the program holds in strength condition point where they had this, they had a previous coach that do that really, really well, but they weren't just going to follow up his retirement or moving on with just anybody. And I think you've stepped into that role and you've pushed it further than what it was. And you've continued to drive it where you could have just came in and you could have been complacent. So that's why I love the opportunity. Anytime we get to talk, anytime we're, you know, we're texting, anytime I've got questions and, and can reach out to you. I know, that the opinion you're going to give is valuable. It's going to add to us. It's going to add to our conversation. It's going to make me better. So I think that's why I love conversations like this for us to have the ability to have open dialogue about what you do, what I do, what we could collectively do better. Um, and then be able to just honestly ask you questions and sit and talk. Um, and I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head again with talking about how we have to be able to know what we do, invest in the lives of people around us. And it boils down to the, that relational aspect when we talk about this being, am I trying to pull from this person whatever I can get to benefit me? Or am I trying to truly know this person and trying to honestly just be a good person, be a good coach, um, and be able to you know, have a friendship, have value with another individual? So I think you're, you're spot on with our ability to to have a small circle that we know really, really well. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of acquaintances, but I really want to develop that small circle 
Um, and that's the that's the number one number one piece of advice that I think any any new coach uh, should walk away from this conversation on. Um, develop those relationships in your building. Develop those relationships with coaches so that you can have honest conversation and develop those uh, develop the relationships with people around you that want to support you, that want that want the best for you, um, and that want to further the industry for the sake of you, and just because of what they can get out of it. So I appreciate you uh, coming on. I appreciate you, you know, missing uh, my barbecue uh, choices. And uh, man, I, I really, I'm really excited for the direction you guys are going again. And I love the, I love the stuff that you put out. Um, where can, uh, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? So both of my social medias are just at K-Y-L-E-J-C-K-S-I-C. Um, my LLC has now kind of hit the, hit the market as well. But I'm trying to put as much contact out. Uh, that's Jacks, J-A-X, athleticperformance.com. Um, I got stuff on Gumroad. Um, my DMs, my emails are, are, are open. Awesome. And I want to thank both of you again for coming on. Dan, appreciate you leading and hosting this episode of the Contractor Chats. Um, you know, it's always great to have recurring guests come back and be, uh, be the host for an episode or two. And uh, I really appreciate you, man. Um, Kyle, I appreciate you. I appreciate both of you, you know, uh, someone that's been pretty green into the field the last couple of years kind of developed. Um, both of you have really uh, accepted me as a friend now and as uh, coaches, you know, we're in the group text together and I'm pretty sure we're all going to be going to the state clinic next year. So, or not state, the, the national uh, NatCon uh, this next year in Chicago and um, just – yeah, I just want to thank y'all for taking time and doing this, man. Anytime, man. Like I said, I love I love talking about what we do. I love talking to other people. Um, it makes me better. So anything I can do to uh, to improve my ability for my kids and the kids that I the athletes I work with, um, and maybe maybe one day add some value to the industry, then I'll I'll take it up on it. Yep. Yeah, appreciate appreciate both of you. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow social media platforms at Conjugate Chat uh, Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also follow our guest host and our guests, Kyle and Dan, on uh, social media as well. So in the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today.